We turn then in God's Word to the book of Micah this morning. Book of Micah. A couple of reasons uh, why we're here this morning. First of all, uh, we are still dealing with uh, those folks whose names begin with the letter M that we find on the pages of Scripture. Certainly Micah qualifies for that. Secondly, uh, one of you uh, as a member had suggested a Several months ago, uh, if we couldn't have uh, a series on one of the minor prophets, and so uh, uh, putting together the list of, of M people, uh, thought we will take some time uh, in the book of Micah, probably three, four messages from there, and then we'll go also uh, to the book of Malachi um, before we begin uh, later in the fall or during the fall. Uh, going through the Gospel of Mark, all of which qualify us in the M people as well. But uh, we begin with Micah. He is known as one of the minor prophets, um, and, and perhaps a word of explanation there, minor only in terms of length of the book, not in terms of significant, not in terms of importance. So uh, we, we have the major prophets of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And if you look at the length of their books, you, you get an understanding uh, in regards to that. And uh, then you come to Amos, Joel, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, Jonah. Uh, very short, quick, distinct books. And so that was simply the designation that is being made. It's, it's not uh, scriptural terms. It's not that somewhere in the word of God it says, and my four major prophets are, oh yeah, and then I have these minor prophets too. You don't have to listen to them very much because they're just minor. No, the very introduction reminds us that this too is the word of God. And uh, it is the word of Christ, not just found in the gospels, not just uh, in our red letter editions of the word of God that somehow perhaps makes us think, oh, those words are more special. No, the whole of scripture is Christ's word to us. And these opening words of the book of Micah are a reminder of that. We're going to read chapter 1 at this point in time, although I'd invite you to keep your scriptures open as later in the message we're actually going to read all of chapter 2. As well, The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morasheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards. 
and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. All her idols I will lay waste. For, for from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all in Bethlehem. Roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shephra, in nakedness and shame. The inhabitants of Zanan do not come out. The lamentations of Bethel shall be taken away from you. It shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Maroth wait anxiously for good because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion. For in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore you shall give parting gifts to Morasheth Gath. The houses of Akzib shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Merashah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourselves bald. Cut off your hair. The children of your delight, make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. This is for the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we pray that you will take these words that you have written so long ago, that you will help us to better understand them. We pray that you'll be with Pastor Bob as he brings them to light and that he will bring us and to this day and age, and how we can better understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. First of all, an introduction. That's what's given to us then in verse 1. Secondly, the Lord. Thirdly, the warnings that are issued. And fourthly, the hope that is to be found in God's word, even in the difficulty of this particular passage. The introduction then. First of all, the identity of our prophet is given here. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morasheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. It is Micah is the man's name. Uh, his name means who is like Jehovah. Who is like Jehovah. Some of you uh, have sung that song uh, over and over and over that phrase is repeated, who is like Jehovah, who is like Jehovah, who is like Jehovah. It's not necessarily a question, okay, although it can be formed that way in terms of when you're thinking of the Lord in comparison to idols, but it also is a statement of faith. Who is like Jehovah? There is none. There is none to be compared to the Lord our God. This is his name. He is not to be confused with Micaiah, who uh, ministered about a hundred years earlier to a king by the name of Ahab. Uh, he's the guy who appears before Ahab and basically makes fun of the false prophets. And, um, you know, he gets slapped in the face by the high priest at the time. 
uh, although they, they, their names are similar and Micah is actually a derivative of that name, uh, and they, they share other similarities in their ministries as well, that is a different individual. It's interesting that the only thing we have here about Micah is the town from which he's from. We do not read of his ancestors. We do not read of his father, for example, which is not uncommon in terms of the prophet. If you go through uh, particularly these minor prophets, um, oftentimes the, the, the lineage is not given as uh, the Lord does not see fit to give us that. In some cases, it seems to play of an important role and therefore it's given. In Micah's case, what is important for us to know is not his father, not his grandfather, but the town from which he is from. Morasheth is a town uh, located some 20, 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. It's actually sort of a border town. Uh, it's on the border between the land of Judah and the Philistines because it often goes by the term Morasheth Gath. And Gath is a very predominant Philistine town. We read about it in terms of Goliath. We read about it in terms of David fleeing to the king of Gath. And that's part of where he, he goes crazy and so on. That, that's all in the background here. And, and so Morasheth, Gath, makes it sound like it's almost more of a suburb, as it were, of Gath. In, in other words, it's close. It's on the line. And maybe that's part of the reason we're given that God is indicating the prophet that I'm calling to speak this word to you is a prophet who, who comes from the borderline. And that's where you are as my people. You're on the borderline. You shouldn't be there. You're, you're, you're involving yourselves in things while, while you're my covenant people. The second thing to note is not only the identity that is given as far as our prophet here of Micah, but the time, the time frame, the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. That would be the 8th century B.C. Those three kings uh, represent about a hundred year period of time um, in, in terms of the larger time frame in which they're falling. But if you add their reigns up, it's about 56 years, 55 years. So whether or not Micah's prophecy or prophetic role spanned that entire time, or whether it's saying it spanned part of Jotham, all of Ahaz, and then part of Hezekiah's, um, which is probably the more natural way of, of reading it and understanding it. That's the time frame in which we are in. He has other contemporary prophets. Amos is alive and prophesying at the same time. But Amos's ministry is directed more to the northern kingdom, Samaria, whereas Micah is directing his towards Judah and towards Jerusalem. Another contemporary of his is Hosea, the prophet who is called to go forth and to marry the prostitute. And you'll note uh, the prostitute language here as well. It's that idea of the fact that the people are selling themselves to other gods. Uh, they're breaking covenant. They're breaking their marriage contract with the Lord. Isaiah is another 
prophet, and we'll come back to that in just a few moments, as well as Jonah, who was called to minister uh, not necessarily to the people of Israel first of all, although they are the intended recipients of the word, but he is called to go to, to Nineveh. So it gives you kind of the time frame in which we're working. The third thing to note from this book of, or this verse of introduction is the prophetic means. In other words, how did this come to Micah? And I want to just point out two things. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. This is not Micah. This is not one of the other prophets. This is not one of the kings. This is the word of the Lord. This is God speaking to his people. This is our understanding of what is happening. But I want you to note which he saw. So the word of the Lord, which came to Micah during this time frame, is a word that he saw. Now what does that mean? Does it mean that, that Micah some one day was out uh, at Warasheth Gath and suddenly he looked up and the words of the entire prophecy were printed in the sky? I suppose it could mean that. But as we read about that in other places, the idea is that which he saw is a vision. He saw this picture. He saw this illustrate. This was un unveiled before him. This was revealed to him. He saw it. And as he saw it, this is the word of the Lord that comes to him. This is God's truth that is being conveyed. Let me just give you another example of that. Think of John, the apostle, in the revelations that he receives at the end of the New Testament, in that book of Revelation. These are a series of things that God shows him each word is that which John writes by the Holy Spirit, but it is that which God showed him visually to be then recorded in his holy inspired word. So as we read through this, we, we have to understand that that which we are reading came to Micah as a vision. He saw it. The Holy Spirit now leads Micah to record that which he saw. And he re records for us that exactly what God wants him to note from that vision to be delivered to his people for all time, for all ages, ourselves included. So there's our introduction to the book. Secondly, the second major point this morning is to focus on the fact of the Lord. It is the word of the Lord. And if you go down to verse 2, Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming. There is an emphasis right at the very beginning about the Lord. Now, let's make sure we understand what it is, who it is that Micah is speaking of. 
In the ESV, and I would presume probably many other of your versions, takes the word Lord, capitalizes each and every letter. It is a reminder to us that this is God's personal name. This is Yahweh. This is God's name that he uses when he comes to his people in his covenant relationship with them. You'll note later on, uh, where was it? it? It's at the end, yes, at the end of verse 2. The Lord, there you have the capital L, small o, r, and d. Distinct. Okay? From the Lord at the very beginning. This is God coming as the covenant head. As the one who made covenant with his people. As the one who came to Abraham. As the one who walked between those animal pieces. As, those one, as the one who called Abraham into that covenant relationship. As the one who appears to Moses. I am who I am. I am Yahweh. I am your covenant God. I am the God. I am the covenant Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is Yahweh. It is God as the covenant God who comes to Sinai and covenants with his people. It is the Lord as Yahweh who comes at the end of Deuteronomy and calls his people into a covenant relationship with him. I will bless if you obey. So this is who Micah is telling us this book is about. It is about their covenant God. The second thing in regards to that is the fact not only his name, but that he is coming as a witness. See that at the end, in the middle of there, verse 2? And let the Lord God be a witness against you. See, this is about covenant. This is about their covenant relationship. The question is, God is coming to testify over that which he has seen over that which they have done. Here is a covenant. I will bless if you obey. God's now coming to them and saying, I've been analyzing. I've been watching. I've been watching your behavior. I've been listening to your speech. I've been reading your minds. I am now coming to testify. So the Lord God... Micah sees, comes with the express purpose as in a courtroom situation, as a prosecuting attorney, to witness against the very people with whom he is in covenant. Thirdly, he is coming, we are told, from his dwelling. The Lord God is coming from his holy temple. Now remember I told you one of his contemporaries was Isaiah. But let's go back to the call of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. See, Because these words, he is coming from his holy temple, 
have great significance when you put them in the context of Isaiah's call, of Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook. The voice of him who called. The house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraph flew to me, having in his hands a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The train of his robe filled the temple. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. What does Micah see? He sees the Lord God, this one who is exalted, this one who is majestic, this one who is sovereign, this one who is holy, whose train fills the temple, this, this one about whom the seraphim are crying out, holy, 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 he leaves his dwelling. He leaves his holy temple. He leaves his holy habitation. This is the vision. This is what he sees. Lord God coming. And he's coming to witness against his people. See, think of Isaiah's reaction here. Isaiah, the prophet, reacts to, to his vision here in Isaiah chapter 6 with a, oh, I'm undone. And that's just at his coming. That's just thinking of the presence of God and the holiness of God. When he thinks about his own sinful heart and his own sinful mouth, the words that he has expressed, Isaiah says, I'm undone, I'm going to die, I'm under God's judgment because I've seen who's coming. Micah is adding to it. Not only is the Lord coming, he's coming to testify. He's coming to proclaim. He is coming to announce his case against his people. And that's the third thing, to, or the fourth thing to note as you go back to Micah chapter 1. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And then we have the result. The mountains will melt. Will Melt like wax, the valley split open, like water pouring. Now stop to think. When water pours, does it go slow? No. That's the picture of speed. 
So what Micah is saying, what, what he is seeing, is God coming in a sweeping judgment. He is coming from heaven. And he's not coming slowly. He's not looking at the daisies going, oh, aren't they pretty on the way? Oh, look at those wonderful mountains over there. Let me just observe this. Oh, I got time to deal with this. No, God is coming and he is coming swiftly. He is coming quickly. In other words, that which Micah is about to bring and pronounce is not going to be something that is far different, distant in the future. But God is coming as a torrent of water comes down the side of a mountain. It comes swiftly. And that is the way in which God is coming. And before him, mountains. Some of you have been out west this summer. Or you've been traveling there before. Just think of that. Think of the picture. Before him, the mountains melt like wax. Those of you on the extreme hike a few weeks ago in Wisconsin, that stone melting like wax. We were the ones melting like wax in the heat and humidity. Here it's the picture of the stones themselves. As God comes, as he comes swiftly, it's like the picture that we've been seeing out of Hawaii with that, with that lava melting. The word of the Lord that I saw Coming out of this temple, coming swiftly to proclaim and witness against his people. Thirdly, Micah then, because the, of what is coming, because he has seen the Lord come in his vision, now issues warnings. He's sounding the warning. Hey, the Lord is coming. Then the Lord is coming to testify against his people. I need to warn you. He makes a call. Look at verse 8 with me. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. Go also to verse 16. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair. The children of your delight, make yourselves as bald as the eagle. They shall go from you into exile. What's all this baldness and nakedness about? It's the picture of repentance. This is what you did to express your repentance, your mourning. This is the call. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming out of his holy temple. The Lord is coming swiftly. You need to repent. Cut your hair off. Take your clothes off. Put on sackcloth and ashes. Mourn, weep, and wail. The Lord is coming in his judgment. The Lord's coming as the witness who knows. Every thought of your mind. Every angry word expressed. Every idle 
moment, every wasted opportunity to worship. We began with the seek ye first the kingdom of God. Really, folks, do we? Do we? We seek first the kingdom. This is what Micah is calling the people to. Repent. The witness of the Lord God is coming. You see, not against the pagan world. Not against the Philistines. Not even against the Assyrians. Not against the Babylonians. Not against the Ammonites. time for judgment to begin at the house of God. God is coming to his people. And the picture is God is moving. And he is moving from north to south. He is moving through Samaria. They're going to be the first ones to come under this judgment of God. But it's not going to stop there. It's going to continue even to Zion. Even to Jerusalem. Even to the place where the temple and the ark the covenant is kept. Even there, God is coming in judgment. Secondly, under these warnings is not only the call, but I want you to note that at the end here of Micah chapter 1, we have all these towns listed. Starting at, at verse 9, we talk about Jerusalem, but then there's Gath and Chaffer and all these other towns. Morasheth Gath, his own hometown. One of the things we miss here is that in the Hebrew, these are all, I, I guess we would probably say play on words. These are all little puns that, that, that he is making out of the town names. For example, okay, look at the one regarding Gath. Tell it not in Gath. The word Gath or the name Gath in, in the verbiage of, of Hebrew means to announce. So announce it not in the place of announcement. See, it's that little twist. Or you have this, this town by the name of Schaefer. It means beauty. But look at what he says. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Schaefer, in nakedness and shame, anything but beauty. So he's taking the names and, and he's making a play on words with them, saying to them, you need to repent as well. And it's interesting what he's including here. Because you see, he not only focuses on Jerusalem, but it's all these little towns. All these little places. even mentions his own hometown. The judgment of God is coming upon them because God is coming as a witness. And, and there's two aspects of that that I, I want you to think about. One is, is the fact that oftentimes we can delude ourselves, even in this day and age, into thinking that sin resides in major places, but sin 
does not reside in little places like Coopersville and Marne and Lamont and Eastmanville and Conklin. This chapter is a reminder to us that sin is not exclusive to large towns. Sin is everywhere. Sin is in our hearts. See, and this is a picture of the fact, oh, sure, God's going to come to Jerusalem. Man, they deserve God's judgment. While we sit in our little suburban towns thinking, oh, we're not affected by any of this. Now, Micah's message is, no, we need to pay attention because we're all included in this judgment of God. But there is a comfort there as well because, you see, there's an aspect of this listing of these towns in which Micah is saying, I am concerned. I see what's coming. And I am concerned. There is a compassionate note being sounded here. You need to hear. You need to be warned. You need to understand that your covenant God is coming to witness against you, even if you are in Morasheth Gath. Now, why is he coming? Why is he coming to witness? What have these people done? Well, let's look for briefly at sins that are mentioned here. Go with me to verse 5. This is where it begins. All this. Why, why is this happening? Why is God coming so swiftly to testify? All this. Why? For the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. Well, what is that? Go to verse 7. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. That's her offerings. They've been offering sacrifices to these pagan altars that, that he looks at not as that the Lord is defining as wages they're trying to pay their way into blessing of their God all her idols I will lay waste and of course all these pagan gods are known for their immorality for the prostitution that went along with it as a way of glorifying that that immorality of that particular God so that aspect gets brought up. This is what God is coming in judgment against. But there's more, and that's where I need you to go to chapter 2. Here comes the list. Woe to those who devise wickedness, who work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Thus says the Lord, behold, against this family, I am devising disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks. You shall not walk haughtily. 
for it will be a time of disaster. In that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say we are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me to an apostate he allots our fields. Therefore, you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Do not preach. Thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob? Has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly. With no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go for this is no place to rest because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies saying I will preach to you of wine and strong drink. You would be the preacher for this people. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of them, of men. He who opens the breach goes before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by them. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. You've committed idolatry. You've sold your soul to the false gods of this world. And because of that desire, it is being manifested not only in your breaking of the law against me, but look what you're doing to your fellow man. I come as a witness, God is saying, you have violated the covenant. You no longer love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You are not seeking first the kingdom. And you are not loving your neighbor. Did you catch that in Galatians of Paul? How is the law to be summarized? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's not what they're doing. God is coming. This is the covenant God to witness against them. And he's coming in judgment because of their sin. Did you hear the beautiful hope? Did you hear those last verses, 12 and 13? What is God going to do? In the midst of his judgment, in the midst of, of that which he is going to do, what we hear, we hear Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We hear Psalm 100. We are the sheep of his pasture. We hear John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Because what hope does God bring to them as well? In the midst of this picture come also the picture of God gathering. Of God gathering his people. I will gather the remnant of Israel. God knows those who are his. He knows upon whom the judgment will fall. But he also knows his sheep. He 
gathers them. We know he gathers them not just from Israel. For there is a multitude of men. That picture for us of Revelation, of God's gathering of his people from every tribe, from every language, from across the globe, the gathering of his people. From Coopersville and Lamont and Walker, from the prison cell, from the inner city, from Kenya, from Uganda, from North Korea, God gathers his sheep to protect, to keep, to enfold, to lead, to guide. He gathers his sheep. And he leads. Look at verse 13. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate going out by it. Do you see what that picture is? That's the picture of Christ. That's the picture of our Lord and Savior, the Good Shepherd, laying down his life upon that cross of shedding his blood, to opening the way. To opening the way to what? To eternal life. To opening the way to the glorious freedom of Christ. To opening the way to the life in the spirit. And what do the sheep do? The sheep can't wait to get out there. The sheep can't wait to live in the glory that Christ has given to them. Jesus, our emancipator, not so we remain, but so that we burst through to the glorious freedom as the people of God, the sheep of God, as the saints of God. See, in the midst of this picture of God's judgment, is this beautiful reminder of hope. Hope that we understand is fulfilled in Christ. Hope that was poured out on that Pentecost. Hope that God gave you when he took your life and brought you out of the chains of sin through Christ and gave you the glorious freedom. See, the marvel of this text is that this swift judgment of God is that which Christ bore for you and me on the cross. Because in Christ, the righteousness of God has now been revealed. And God's people say, 
Amen. Father, we do thank you. What a marvelous opening chapter and passage you've placed before us in this prophet. Lord, as we continue our study, we pray that, that we might see and hear the message that you brought to your people. That by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit, our hearts too, Father, would be kindled to be those sheep who desire to enter into that glorious freedom of Christ. Again, Father, we pray that if there are those here this morning who are bound yet by sin, chains, by those fetters, Lord, that by your grace you will upon this day break forth. Father, for many, perhaps as well, we live in the comfort of Jerusalem. There's no sin. I haven't done anything wrong. Lord, may we recognize our own sin, our own shortcomings. May we, like Isaiah of old, as we reflect upon your holiness, may we, Father, respond to we are people of unclean lip, heart, mind, life. But you, in your grace, have cleansed us with the blood of Christ. But may we have the desire to live as your people. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.